It's the 28th of September, 2018. This is the Room Now Week in Review. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This week in the news, triple DMR therapy. How long does it last in your hands, and how does it compare? It may be that the answer to fibromyalgia is frequency of visits. And in the Huey Lewis version of I Want a New Drug, it looks like it may be used to kinemab for lupus. First, you should know that at ACR, Room Now is going to have a fairly big presence. We're going to cover the meeting. You can follow us at acr18.roomnow.com. We're going to have a lot of interesting things going on, a lot of new reports, things that will be novel on the website, including audio clips from leaders in the field that will comment on certain abstracts. Look for those. You'll see in our booth, we're going to have panel discussions on key areas of rheumatology, including rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis and gout and ankylosing spondylitis. And that's going to all be held in the Room Now booth. Look for us on the exhibit floor. But let's go to the news this week at Room Now. Horizon announced this week that it's launched a study that is looking at the better use of co-therapy in patients receiving Cristexa for refractory gout. As you know, Cristex is highly effective in patients with uh, tophaceous, but really defined as chronic refractory gout. Um, and it is limited, though, by the development in some patients, by the development of anti-PEG antibodies. And when that happens, the uric acid levels, which would have tanked, gone from 10, 9, whatever, down to almost 1 or 0, start to rise back up, indicating that there's an anti-drug antibody in play. Some have tooled around with the idea, including Michael Pillinger, of using immunosuppressive therapy to curtail that anti-drug uh, or anti-PEG response. Uh, azathioprine has been used. Uh, there's actually a study going on um, that's also been launched uh, using mycophenolate. I think Ken Sag's running that study. Uh, and down in the, out in the great northwest, uh, they've launched a study using methotrexate as the, um, the anti-PEG antibody inhibitor. Uh, and I think that's something that we're really going to look forward to because if that works as is, as is expected, then you'll get greater prolonged therapy with less interference by these anti-PEG antibodies and less toxicity. Uh, and again, more time on drug. So it's kind of good news. Watch for that in the upcoming year. UT Southwestern has a cutaneous lupus registry that they've been following for years, uh, and they looked at the incidence of autoimmune disease in amongst their 129 patients, and they found that if you had chronic cutaneous lupus, that you had an 18% risk of other autoimmune disease led by autoimmune thyroid disease. It seems to top the list for most associated autoimmune disorders. Risk factors for uh, the development of other autoimmune disease includes being white, never smoking, a positive family history of an autoimmune disease, and of course, being ANA positive. Uh, systematic review of 10 studies looking at um, undifferentiated arthritis in patients with preclinical RA or arthralgias in at-risk individuals look specifically at whether there's a value to therapy, whether it be corticosteroid therapy or DMARD therapy. So 10 studies, almost uh, uh, 1,150 patients with, with uh, either arthralgias or undifferentiated arthritis, 
They had two meta-analyses that actually specifically looked at arthralgia-only patients and could find no evidence that only arthralgia patients um, no, without any other risk factors would benefit from either steroids or DMARD therapy. On the other hand, patients meeting the definition for undifferentiated arthritis, meaning they usually had synovitis, um, and of course being in a, maybe at risk for RA, there seems that there may be a benefit when DMARDS or steroids were used that they lowered the ultimate development of rheumatoid arthritis by as much as 27% with an odds ratio of 0.73. Again, we really are in an era where we don't know what to do in at-risk individuals. Who are they? first-degree relatives of someone who has rheumatoid arthritis, those who, have sero, who are seropositive with arthralgias, those who may have one joint or a marginally elevated acute phase reactant, do you jump right in and use methotrexate or a DMARD or even more? Uh, again, those trials are underway, but this is early data from what's been done uh, and looked at by meta-analyses to see if you can get some guidance. The bottom line is arthralgias only probably does not merit DMARD therapy, but that if people look like they have undifferentiated inflammatory arthritis, yes, that does seem to make sense. An interesting report appeared in the literature that caught my eye. It's called Burning Mouth Syndrome, BMS. Um, it's a variant of chronic pain. Uh, it's said to affect as many as 4% of people in Sweden, which I find hard to believe. But when they characterize these, uh, pa these patients, they tend to be middle-aged um, or elderly, women more so than men. Patients present with severe burning or stinging, usually involving the tongue, but throughout the mouth has also been described. They often have metallic taste and abnormal taste sensation, dyscusia, uh, and they often have um, dry mouth, and it may be associated with skin disorders, nothing specific. To me, this sounds like another variant of fibromyalgia, patients who present with as very difficult to define pain syndromes that that are just strange. And, and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I think the altered pain perception uh, through central mechanisms leads to pain that is often hard to describe and often can be creepy crawly things on the skin or things that don't have dermatomal distributions. Or in this case, I've had patients with unilateral focal facial pain associated with fibromyalgia, bad sleep, etc. Whether that's a variant of that, I wasn't looked at in this particular thesis that was done, I think it's interesting to note that it's out there. Data comes from the American uh, Veterans Administration that looked at their RA population between 2006 and 2012 and specifically looked at what happens when you escalate from methotrexate incomplete responders to either receiving triple DMARD therapy or methotrexate plus a TNF inhibitor. Uh, and while the patient responses to both drugs in a short term seems to be, like the other study, seems to be good, when you measure response by persistence on drug, it is the, the, the biologic plus methotrexate that outperforms triple. So at one year, the, the methotrexate TNF inhibitor, 45% uh, were persistent, whereas only 18% were persistent on triple therapy. And the interesting thing about non-persistence on triple therapy was that a lot of it seems to be related to toxicity from sulfazalazine of all things. So I, that was sort of two bits of information. Number one, very low persistence rates on either drug in patients in the Veterans Administration. And you know, that 18% um, on triple therapy, you know, you could say, aha, that means it doesn't work. You know, I think that these kind of 
data, which are really self-reported, observational, they often reflect what the doctor thinks. If the doctor doesn't say good things about triple therapy and is pessimistic and says negative things, guess what? Patients are going to drop out, have side effects, etc. So again, I think that uh, it's not surprising to me that methotrexate and TNF do well. It is surprising to me that the TNF, that the triple DMAR therapy did not do as well. Speaking of fibromyalgia, a really um, difficult study to read uh, because of its implications. A very large EMR-based study of almost 9,000 patients with fibromyalgia specifically looked to quantify um, depression, severe, severe depression, so severe that suicide was an issue. In fact, they found 34 actual suicide attempts and 96 events of suicidal ideation. Um, it was higher in patients who were obese and those who had drug dependence problems. Um, and it seemed to be prevented by the frequency of outpatient visits. I know that uh, fibromyalgia can be difficult to manage and many people will tend to space out those visits. And you know patients with fibromyalgia often do have a lot of need for interaction with medical providers. So it seems that frequency of interaction could be a very beneficial thing in this often difficult to manage population. I tweeted this week something uh, that I thought was fairly mundane and mainly for our European colleagues that the European Commission had approved its fifth uh, adalimumab biosimilar. This one was called um, Hulio, unrelated to the, the TV network. Hulio, H-U-L-I-O, um, comes from Mylan and Fujifilm as a maker and there obviously are now, in addition to uh, Humira, there are other biosimilars from other companies, including uh, for adalimumab, including ones made by Amgen, Sandoz, Samsung, Bioepis, and Beringer Ingelheim. So I thought this was interesting, and it's a new a new addition to the market in the EU. On Twitter, someone commented, "What a shame that we don't have biosimilars. This is all the fault of PBMs." That's an incorrect statement. PBMs may have some issues in our healthcare economy, but the reason we're not seeing adalimumab biosimilars and uh, etanercept biosimilars is really because of litigation. Right now, those are being held off. Um, they are approved in the United States and they're not on the market because there's a lot of legal battles all going on behind the scenes regarding patent and whatnot. Uh, we do see in, uh, three versions of infliximab that are on the market uh, now, and, and, but the other ones are hung up in litigation. Maybe PBMs will play a bigger role, but they're not to blame right now. Annals of Internal Medicine had a, an interesting article about the misuse of opioids. They did a study of a large population, adult population, between 2006 and 2015, and looked specifically at 31,000, 32,000 prescriptions for opioids, found that 5% were for cancer pain, 66% were for non-cancer pain with a good indication. However, 29%, the opioid was prescribed without a pain diagnosis being on record suggesting that this is part of the problem. These have become a little too, bit too reflex. And again, the more we talk about it, we're guilty of it here at Room Now, the more we talk about this opioid epidemic and the horrors of it, the more the patients who have real pain are going to suffer because it's going to get more and more difficult for people with pain to be appropriately treated. Lancet this week published the ARRIVE study, um, spelt A-R-R-I-V-E. Don't know what it stands for. You know, I always think these contractions are a little bit hokey anyway. But it is a prevention trial with aspirin and compares placebo to low-dose aspirin in over 12,000 patients with a moderate cardiovascular risk. 
and they basically showed that whether you're on placebo or low-dose aspirin, there was no difference in fatality rate, no difference in a combined cardiovascular endpoint that looked at uh, heart failure, hospitalizations, MI, CVAs, etc. So that sort of failed. The only thing that stood out was that there was a two-fold increase in GI events in those who were taking uh, aspirin compared to placebo. Uh, and the critics of the study said that, you know, the, that maybe this wasn't a good study because the event rate that was observed was far lower than what was predicted when they were powering the study. So again, the value of daily aspirin in patients appears to be dwindling with all the recent studies. Some recent studies showing that aspirin is really only indicated in people who are at high risk and had prior events. For you and I who've never had a cardiovascular e event, um, the use of daily aspirin may have no benefit and may only have a small degree of harm. An interesting study comes from the state of Florida about knee arthroscopies uh, being on a decline. Uh, specifically, they showed in a um, time frame, I think it was of 2002 to 2015, there was almost 900,000 knee arthroscopic procedures performed in the state of Florida, but that these have dro dropped from 2002 to 2015 by a total of 23%. And the drop was mainly seen after 2008 when they were starting to go on, there were a number of studies on record showing that arthroscopy was failing in a head-to-head -head trial um, against placebo when it was being done for either knee pain or meniscal tears or knee osteoarthritis. Turns out that conservative management was better than surgical management in those situations. And this is when it started to be changed, changed the behavior by orthopedists. Um, I know that in my community, I've sent a lot of patients to the orthopedist with a meniscal tear, and the plan has been conservative management, not arthroscopic surgery. So again, these are on the decline, and you're probably seeing this in your practice. Lastly, uh, an interesting study about ustekinumab, the IL-1223 inhibitor, being tested in patients, adult patients, who are ANA positive, who have moderate to severe active lupus, uh, and are enrolled to receive ustekinumab or placebo on top of their background therapy. The primary endpoint in this study was the SLE, uh, the SLEDI2K responder index, also called the SRI4 response at week 24. They screened 166 patients, 102 were randomized to either ustekinumab or placebo. The week 24 results were heavily in favor of ustekinumab with an SRI4 response of 62% in ustekinumab and half that at 33% with the placebo, and that was highly significant. Um, this is very encouraging data, although it is preliminary. The numbers here in this trial are small, 102 patients, but it's very encouraging. There's a good biologic rationale for why IL-1223 would work in lupus patients. But as you know, um, you know, lupus trials are hard to do. They're even harder to reproduce. Ask anafrolimab, which looked great in its initial phase two and didn't look so great in its uh, repeat phase three. So. Uh, we'll wait to hear more about ustekinumab and lupus in the future. Right now, it's still investigational. That's it for this week at Room Now. Be sure to tune into the website to get these links and learn more about these important reports. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.